everybody. Welcome back to the Wit and Whiskey cast. I'm DJ Gagnon, here with my grumpy old co-host, Mark Rossetti. Mm, bah humbug and all that. And we're here to argue until you shut us off. Uh, but before we get to that, what you been up to this last week, buddy? I feel like that is, uh, you know, before podcasting, you know, the only form of debate medium really there was was AM radio. And I feel like that was the format in many AM radio stations. I like that. We're just going to argue till you shit us off. No, I'm all right. Um, we are officially in the dog days of summer here in Pennsylvania. We had about three days uh, in the mid-90s in a row. I loved it. Uh, I wasn't too crazy about it raining every night. Uh, thunder and lightning just scares poor Romulus to no end. But, uh, you know, the heat during the day was fine. Uh, still fighting with the air conditioner because it's a bastard. <laughs> uh, but but when it works, it works pretty well, which if it were up to me, we wouldn't even have it. I don't mind the heat. But, you know, the little guy's got fur, so we got to take care of him. Uh, I was actually at a – there's a big – fine arts festival that they have every year downtown, which is of varying qualities. But interestingly enough, this year, there was another festival that was running opposition literally a block away. And I don't know if it was all the artists that couldn't get booked in the main festival or what, but when Annie and I went to the first one, we said, oh, the hell with it, it's only a block. We'll walk down and we go to the other one. And there was an older couple, husband and wife, probably in their mid-60s, and they were selling, uh, in their own words, pop culture shadow boxes. What? Yes. And so basically they'd have a few photos or sketches or drawings and then a little mini painted figurine. And wouldn't you know who won the pony? They had one for Lex Luthor. (laughs) No. And I ripped it off the wall of their stand and said, this is going to be the easiest sale you make all fucking day. How much? (laughs) And I didn't even haggle with the guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. So that's in my bar now. (laughs) I mean, I'm not surprised. Have you hung it up on the wall? Is it up on the wall next to comics? It is. Nice. Yeah, it's in the bar room now. It's hanging on the wall. Uh, and, you know, it was 15 bucks. It wasn't even that expensive. Uh, so we got that. Got some hard cider, which was very good, but I wasn't too crazy about the fact that they put a cork in the bottle. And it was a big bottle. So you pretty much had to drink all of it. Yeah. <laughs> and Annie had one glass and was like, I'm good. So I had to drink pretty much this entire, like, wine-sized bottle of hard cider and I missed the end of the race on Sunday because I felt sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, buddy? What are you, what are you up to this week? Uh, you know, it, it's it, it's been super busy at work the last couple of days because uh, Holly and I are taking off after Wednesday. We're going on our. Uh, they're calling them baby moons now. Did you did you know this? This is a, I've not heard this, but I am not up with what the kids do nowadays. That's fair. This is a term I did not know existed, but uh, it's essentially um, like a the last big vacation you take before the baby comes because you won't be able to take a vacation for a little while. That's fair. Yeah, so uh, Holly had sat me down like a month and a half ago and said, hey, you're really stressed out and not taking any days off. So you know what we're doing? We're going to Anime Boston, and you're going to be okay with that. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I think I can make that work. I think I could suffer through that. 
Yeah, so uh, we're getting ready for that. Uh, Holly decided that she wanted to cosplay like a week and a half ago and got really frustrated at the lack of pregnant characters that she liked, so she just said fuck it and created a cosplay of a non-pregnant character and is just going to have fun. So good for her. I mean, that's what conventions are all about. It's true. Yeah, anybody should be able to cosplay anything. Uh, but other than that, uh, we it's kind of funny that you, you had like a fine arts festival. We went to uh, a music and arts festival down in, in a couple towns over and um, got to see a friend of ours who, who does a lot of really cool pottery. And then as we're like walking past, there's this tent where like there's all of these really beautiful nature photos stretched on canvas. Okay. And I don't usually go for that sort of thing, but I've been kind of looking for something big and colorful to go in the nursery uh, to kind of, you know, accent just the walls of green and, you know, white stencils that we have. And there was this photo of just a brilliantly orange sunrise coming up over the Isles of Shoals, which is like a really popular chain of islands in New Hampshire. Um, and then it was like, uh, you know, you got to see the water and the, the sunsets reflecting off the water. You can clearly see the islands. And I'm like, holy shit, that's amazing. So, uh, you know, we got to chatting with the artist and I bought the canvas easy, like no problem. I was like, yeah, that, that's amazing. It's going to look great in the nursery. And uh, come to find out, she does uh, newborn shoots. Uh, so we're going to <laughs> have her come to our house sometime in October after the baby's born and do a newborn shoot for us. Are you going to stretch it over canvas? Uh, probably not. No. Aww. No, I'm probably going to get them and put them in a photo album and be like, look at my adorable baby. You got to get one over canvas. Little or, canvas. you know, look at my adorable lizard. We don't know what we're having. The lizard people are real. You heard it here first, folks. I don't know if I would think you're a lizard person. Holly could be a lizard person. She has the the the, the machinations and the analytical mind. She could be a lizard person in disguise. Yeah. Well, but, if if but, I ever wake up to her nibbling on on my face or something, I'll, I'll let you know. I mean, you don't. You're too happy. Like the lizard people, you know they they're plot they're they're plotting on another level. Uh huh. That's fair. What are you? Uh, what are you drinking, buddy? Well, uh, I was just so busy this weekend with work, and then with the festival, and then you know running around with the cars and X, Y, and Z. I didn't really have time to get to the liquor store. But uh, Saturday, when I was bartending, it was the second leg of the Triple Crown. It was the Preakness, and I'm not a big horse racing guy, but I get into the Triple Crown because I like things that have you know long illustrious histories and a lot of needless pomp and ceremony. And another fun part of the Triple Crown, and we talked about this last year during the Triple Crown, uh, which was during, uh, you know, was back in, in the spring, like it was supposed to be, because 2020, everything was all fucked up, so it was in, like, September. But last year, it was back in the spring, and we talked about this. Bourbon is an integral part of the Triple Crown. And every race of the Triple Crown has a signature drink. Uh, everybody knows the Kentucky Derby. It's mint juleps, mm-hmm. which are fine. Uh, and then the Belmont, which is in three weeks, uh, the Belmont has the Belmont Jewel, which is basically like blueberry lemonade with bourbon in it, essentially. But the Preakness is interesting in that it actually has two cocktails. 
Now, if you go there and you ask somebody, oh, what's the drink for this one? They're going to tell you it's the Black Eyed Susan. And the Black Eyed Susan is fine, although literally as you drink it, you hear Wilfred Brimley telling you that you have the diabetes. Because <laughs> there's orange juice, there's pineapple juice, there's vodka, there's bourbon, there's cherries and cherry juice, there's sour mix, like so much sugar. Is it sad that the more I hear you talk about these fucking cocktails at this hella fancy event, the more I'm like, man, these are not very good cocktails. <laughs> like, the mint julep's great. Don't get me wrong. I love a mint julep. But that sounds nasty. They were selling mint juleps for $2,500 a piece this year, for the record. Fucking Christ. Um, but we have all these old cocktail books at St. Conrad's because St. Conrad's is literally 130 years old as an organization. So I was looking through one of the old cocktail books one day last year when I was bored, and I came across a cocktail just called The Preakness. And pretty much up until World War II, this was the official cocktail. And this one's much better because it's essentially just a modified Monte Carlo. Mm -hmm. And as DJ has told us in Tools of the Trade, there really are only like four cocktails. It's so true. And a Monte Carlo is a modified Manhattan. So you have rye for this one, not bourbon. You have your uh, vermouth, sweet vermouth. You use a spoonful of Benedictine over the top. You don't layer it. You just put it over the top and then mix it later. And then you put in your Angus Russo bitters. Uh, No cherries, no cherry juice. Uh, You're supposed to corkscrew a lemon peel, although I don't have any lemons in the house, so I didn't do that. Uh, And that is the Preakness cocktail. It's pretty good. Uh, You have to like Benedictine because when the Benedictine mixes with the bitters, they both sort of enhance each other. So you do taste both of them. You also have to like vermouth because there's a whole shot of vermouth in it. There's two shots of rye, one shot of vermouth. So you need to like vermouth. Uh, But if you like old school, traditional Manhattans, and if you like Benedictine or can at least uh, stomach it, this is very good. Uh, I was selling, while the ladies on Saturday were drinking the Black Eyed Susans by the pitcher, uh, I sold quite a few of these to the fellas, and they were like, man, these are really good. I wish I could have more, but it's pretty much just a glass full of alcohol. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, pretty much. Did you tell them that's basically all you drink? Uh, yeah, and, you know, and the one guy who knows me pretty well, he's like, well, of course he's the ones you're pushing. I'm like, what? Hey, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's pretty good. So I, I thought I would uh, go to this because I think I did the mint julep last year. I think I reviewed the mint julep. Uh, so we're going to do the Preakness. And hey, next year, uh, I'll do the Belmont Jewel. Why not? We'll get some neon blue fucking uh, lemonade. Nice. What about you, buddy? What are you drinking? Uh, so I do have to shout out a uh, member of my team, uh, Emil, gave me a bottle of scotch last week. And he said, I know you're never going to buy Suck this up. for yourself because it's scotch. <laughs> um, but it's a sherry cask, so you might like it. And I was like, well, this is awesome. So uh, I am drinking it tonight. <clears throat> it is certainly a scotch. Uh, So I am drinking uh, a Grangestone single malt sherry cask finish. Uh, It is very good. Um, I like it very much. It does not taste peaty at all. So there's that. There's definitely some some fruity layers here. There's definitely some spice on it. Um, It it doesn't have that rye burn. Sorry, Mark. Um, It's got a pretty pretty standard. Uh, scotch burn, but it, it it's it's oaky. Uh, it has been double aged, so they they t- do the 
the oak aging, and then they they age it a second time in sherry casks. So See, I do like that. Yeah, I think you would actually like this, and it's uh, it, it's pretty accessible. Uh, I definitely recommend it if people are looking to get into scotches. Uh, again, single malt, so it's pretty smooth. The burn doesn't last too long. And uh, it, it's great. I mean, it's got that complexity that I love from from a sherry cask finish. And uh, it, it's a Highland, so, you know, it's 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 not as good as the Speyside, in my opinion, but they're still pretty good. Uh, you know, as long as it's not an Islay Scotch, I'm, I'm fine. I was going to say, a Highland's a nice, uh, it's not quite an Islay, but it's got a little smoke. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's good. It's definitely got a little bit of smoke, but in no way, shape, or form does it turn down Bogwater Street. So definitely check it out. Grange Stone, uh, which I I was looking at it tired the other day, and I'm like, what is, how do you pronounce this? Grange Stone? No. Grange Stoney? No. It's just Grange Stone. Grange! <laughs> I was making it too complicated. <laughs> Well, Emil, I guess you did good. You're not going to get fired this week. So well done, buddy. <laughs> I don't have that authority, but thank you, Emil. <laughs> uh, I'll, uh, I, I promised them I'd take a picture of, uh, of, of it and let them know what I thought. So I'm sure I'll talk to him tomorrow. I was going to say, just make him listen to the show. Right? Um, but yeah, what do, we, uh, what do we got for whiskey news, man? Well, uh, this is uh, timely, shall we say, with everything going on. Uh, you don't have to be someone like me who's made poor life choices and only owns automobiles that take 93 octane. Everyone is suffering at the pump. Uh, gas prices are through the roof. But uh, enter the distilling business. More specifically, uh, a new company which is called, it's a very long name here. Uh, I just had the notes up somewhere. Celtic Renewables Incorporated. They are uh, obviously in Scotland. And their idea is that they are going to turn the waste from the distilling process of whiskey, in this case specifically scotch whiskey, into biofuel. And so for those of you who may or may not be familiar, biofuel is the new wave that people are starting to get into because, you know, not to get super political, but for a a number of reasons, electric isn't quite there yet and may or may not be there yet. And we haven't quite figured out how to store hydrogen without it blowing up if it gets crashed into, which is a problem with a car. Mm -hmm. So biofuels are a way that different companies are investing heavily in Porsche, especially is investing heavily in, because it burns very similar to a gasoline. So you could run a traditional internal combustion engine on biofuel with only some modifications. Uh, The biggest one that I think most people know about are the buses and trucks and things that run off of French fry grease, peanut oil, those type of things. This is in the same vein, uh, but they want to take... uh, the waste for whiskey. Now, according to uh, Celtic Renewables, for every single liter of whiskey produced, there are 2.5 kilograms of solid byproducts that they call draft, 8 liters of liquid known as pot ale, and 10 liters of spent lees, L-E-E-S, which is a watery, murky residue. 
This amounts to 684 metric tons of draft and over 2.3 billion liters of pot oil that are produced every year. And so they want to turn this into another uh, plant-based crop like ethanol, like the peanut oil, as we said. And this is all part of the greater uh, Scottish movement called Zero Waste Scotland. They're trying to go to zero emissions in Scotland. I think it's 2050. So um, they're working on a new, uh, like, re-fermentation process, which isn't just limited to whiskey bride products, but uh, that's what they're focusing on now, although they said they could actually use dairy as well. It's an acetone, butanol, ethanol, A-B-E, fermentation, uh, in which basically bacteria break down the sugars in the whiskey draft, and they turn them into butanol and ethanol, which can then power a car. Uh, So basically, they've already driven an unmodified, according to them, completely unmodified Ford on Scottish roads using a blend which is 15% of this whiskey biobutanol. So 85% gasoline, 15% biobutanol, which for an unmodified engine, that's actually pretty impressive, uh, speaking from my automotive background. And they're going (laughs) to keep working their way up to hopefully make it up to 100% uh, biobutanol, which of course would, would require some engine modifications, but nothing too crazy. So this could be another way forward. Um, you know, you talk to anyone, you even talk to like Elon Musk or somebody like that that's heavily invested in the electric sector. Gas car powered cars aren't just going to go away. Oh, of course not. Um, so because of this, we have to find a way to keep them running side by side and shit like this. It is where it's at. Biofuels are where it's at, at least until somebody cracks hydrogen, because, I mean, whoever figures that out is just going to be the richest fucking person that ever lived. Um, but until they crack that, biofuels are the way to go. So, hey, kudos to these Celtic guys. Kudos to Scotland. And Lord knows the Scots are not going to stop making whiskey. So there's going to be plenty of shit to refine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're not going to run out of that stuff. <laughs> I thought I thought I read years ago that BMW had some hydrogen fuel cell cars going on the road. They did. They had a 7 series that I remember when I was in college made all the waves because it was basically a unmodified 12 cylinder BMW engine and it was running on hydrogen and uh, you know one of the knocks at the time was they said oh it's only making like 240 horsepower whereas you know, the real V12 was making something like 450 or something at the time. And it's like, I don't care. We Humanity has proven we can hot rod anything. Yeah. <laughs> Give us the technology and let us play with it. And in 10 years, we'll have the power through the roof. But insurance companies are a big part of it. People are worried about what the hap- what's going to happen in the case of an accident. Um uh, they're trying to store it as drop- droplets on like pieces of liquid metal. That technology is not quite there yet. And, you know, not to play tinfoil hat conspiracy, but it's a big part. Big oil has a lot of lobbying money. Yeah. They're, they're also keeping it down. Um, but eventually hydrogen's going to come through. You know, I have a lot of friends that are, are, are very, very left-leaning. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But they get very upset with me when I say electric is in the future. I said, we need to be investing in hydrogen, not electric. Like, if we could figure that out, it's over. <laughs> like, we have solved the crisis. I mean, I'm pretty damn left-leaning at this point, and I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's just, but, you know, biofuels are another major way. Biofuels, as I said, is the way Porsche's investing, because Porsche's like, hey, we understand we're a niche sportsman brand. 
We understand we're not going to survive in the future the way it's going, so we're going to make ourselves survive, which is kind of fun. That's pretty fantastic. All right, what do we got for tools of the trade? Uh, not anything nearly as impressive as renewable biofuel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I did want to chat a little bit about, uh, you know, we're getting into those dog days of summer and I want to talk about ice cream and cocktails. Ah, uh, yes. Two old friends. Yes. Uh, and I feel like we don't generally talk about this topic very often, but I wanted to bring up some different uh, examples that you could you could have. And there's there's your traditional ones, right? Like make a root beer float and pour vodka into it. That's not really what I'm talking about. I was going to say, who hurt you? Why? No, don't, don't do that. Uh, But there's other things that you can do, right? Like you can, if you want to chill down that strawberry uh, daiquiri a little bit quicker, you can drop a scoop of vanilla ice cream in, you know, why not? We already went through that decade of, of all of those fun cocktails. Uh, But I wanted to kind of highlight three cocktails that I thought were pretty interesting. Um, And one is the Bay Hill Hummer. Uh, It's a cocktail that was popularized by golf legend Arnold Palmer, uh, which most people know him as the iced tea and lemonade dude. Um, But he also made this cocktail, which is, uh, it's meant to be a, it's meant to be a brandy cocktail. So sorry, Mark is probably out for you. Um, but it's an ounce and a half of brandy, an ounce of vodka, an ounce of uh, dark creme de cacao, and two to four scoops of vanilla ice cream, and you blend it up. That doesn't sound terrible, as you know, especially if you've got like a decent quality like vanilla bean ice cream. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, I would drink that. Uh, another one we're we're just gonna keep going nice and quick here um, is called the Chi Chi. Uh, it's uh, two ounces of vodka, half an ounce of blue curacao, half an ounce of cream de coconut, um, half a cup of cubed pineapple, a scoop of vanilla ice cream, uh, some crushed ice, and a pineapple wedge for garnish. Again, another blender cocktail. Uh, I feel like this one comes straight out of those colorful cocktails from the 80s. Um, it, it is a violent blue. Uh, but if you you know, you know want one of those tropical cocktails, this is a pretty good one. I feel like cream to coconut or cream of coconut, depending on who you talk to, uh, is going to be the the one ingredient that some people have a hard time with. But, you know, we're getting into those summer months. Your grocery store might start carrying it pretty, pretty soon. Yeah, that's that's the deal break for me. I, 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 I can't do that. Ugh. <laughs> uh, and then there is an Italian um, after dinner. It's not even a cocktail. Uh, it's called the affogato. Uh, and it's basically you pour fresh brewed espresso over vanilla bean gelato or ice cream. Uh, and that's pretty fucking great in and of itself. But if you want to spike it up a little bit, you can add uh, some amaretto. You could add uh, a dessert wine. Uh, you could add an Italian Amaro if you want to try something different. I don't think I'd do the Amaro personally. Um, uh, you could also kind of make an, an Italian... You know, this is an Italian dessert. You could make an Irish uh, take on this by instead of doing espresso, you know, brew uh, a you know a, just a decent cup of black coffee, 
and uh, you know pour it over with some Baileys and some some Jameson or something like that. But the sky's the limit here. There's a lot of really easy cocktails that you can do as well. Um, there's one that's super easy and honestly sounds super good, Mark. I may I may be making a few of these, um, but it's uh, UV blue vodka with a scoop of raspberry sherbet and lemon lime soda, and it's basically like a boozy version of like prom punch I <coughs> my cousin and I got well she got sick I didn't but I was so hungover from that UV blue oh, oh. <laughs> <sighs> everybody's got one right I mean I, I didn't throw up but I came about as close to humanly possible <laughs> So, yeah, I, ice cream cocktails are fun. I'm going to keep bringing this topic back of, like, some nice, fun summer cocktails. I really want to do a Tools of the Trade on pineapple at one point because pineapple is, like, one of my all-time favorite uh, flavors. So look forward to that. Pineapple is good. I like pineapple. No coconut, though. Uh, I don't like coconut shavings, but I don't mind coconut as a flavor. Which, I mean, hey, a nice, uh, a nice segue. That was a fun disagreement. Let's disagree some more. You might think the two of us just yes and each other all the goddamn time. Well, no. <laughs> well, I like to yes and Mark, and he likes to no but me. Well, is it? it eh, yeah, I guess. I was going to say, is it more? <laughs> is it no but, or is it more of? Well, maybe. but how about no um all right so basically you know we had said last week that we were going to each pick three things that one of us liked and the other one didn't and we were just getting bogged down in the nitty-gritty and i went off on an existential crisis which we're going to get into a little bit today (laughs) uh and so we thought it would actually be uh, a lot more fun both for us and for you the listener which is the most important part if we just came up with one list and we each had a side and it wasn't all that difficult to find a bunch of things that we have different opinions on. And so we're just going to argue at each other about these and probably nothing is going to be accomplished overall, but Hey, you know, that's what's great about a podcast. It's so true. Yeah. So like we said at the beginning, uh, just feel free to listen until you get sick of us arguing and then we'll see you next week. Yeah, and some of these we've touched on in previous episodes, uh, although nowhere near the detail we're probably going to get into today. So feel free to hit that little 15-second skip button, too, if you like. Yeah. So where do you want to start, buddy? Oh, hmm. Well, you know, all right. Because I guess this was, this was one that, that came up today when we were texting each other during the day when we both were supposed to be working. <laughs> yeah. um, and I revealed to you that aside from three things, I forgot one earlier when I was texting you, but aside from three things, I don't eat seafood. <sighs> and before anyone asks, because this is the an immediate reaction I get is, oh, you're allergic. No, it just all sucks. Mm-hmm. So the exceptions are clams. I like clams, especially when I'm drinking beer. Clams and beer are very good. Yeah, clams are good. Uh, um, I like calamari. Yeah, do you have nice either of those when they're not fried? 
Oh yeah, no, I steam clams. I do cl- actually. I my favorite way to do clams, and and you're gonna laugh. My favorite way to do clams is on the grill. Okay, uh, that's my favorite way to do clams. Calamari, I've eaten both ways. I prefer it fried, but I have eaten it non-fried. It's fair. It's better fried. Um, and again, if we're talking about grilled, I only had had this last summer, but I'm hooked on it now, and I don't get it that often because it's very expensive. But I liked grilled octopus. Oh, my God. I could fucking talk about octopus. But aside from those three, and occasionally, like, if we go out for hibachi, they always give you two or three shrimp. I eat the shrimp, not just to be a dick. But I'm not a shrimp guy. Um, and I, Well, I'll eat grilled shrimp if I have to, but I cannot do the shrimp cocktail with it raw and just, bleh, I, don't know, I can't do that. Okay, first of all, the shrimp is not raw in shrimp cocktail. It is cooked and then chilled. It's raw. No, it's not raw. If it was raw, it would be called ceviche, and that is a different thing that we're talking about. I don't eat that either. Uh, I mean, honestly, most places don't even do shrimp raw for sushi. Like most, it's not, I, I think I've maybe had it once or twice raw. My question to you about any of these other seafood, including clams, clams falls into this too, and I like clams. But my question to you about any of these seafoods is how do you know when it goes bad? Because it all stinks like ass normally. Okay, so I have this debate with everybody, and people who like seafood only notice the stink when it's gone bad. And people who don't like seafood don't have an aversion to the smell no matter what, and they always think it's bad. So I can't... I, I don't know. I Like, I wish I had, like, a really cool debate to have with you here, buddy. But, like, legitimately, it doesn't stink to me. It smells, like, fresh. There is actually one exception to your rule. And that, that is my, my late great-grandmother, R.I.P., she loved fish. Like, like, I swear she was part English. She loved fish and chips. Yeah. And whenever she would make it, like, for days afterwards, she'd be like, oh, I'm sorry the house stinks. I made fish the other night. <laughs> but, like, like, and, like, I logically get that. And there is something weird about frying fish that just, it, it fills the space up with that smell. Um, but, like, I don't generally fry a lot at all. So I generally am, like, baking or I'm searing or I'm, I mean, technically, like, you can steam some things. I don't steam very often. It's mostly just baking, broiling, or or, or um, searing in a pan, and the smell's gone pretty quick. Um, but I also, like, I, I'm known to... Uh, I, I make like tin foil packets and I'll throw those in the oven. So it's a pretty quick cleanup and the smell's kind of contained. Maybe that's why I don't notice. That probably does help. You don't have all those big greasy pans laying around. Yeah. I'll, I'll notice the smell like before I start cooking it, but after I, like I start cooking it, the smell goes away and I don't notice it anymore. Especially with shrimp. It all, it all stinks to me. Even the stuff I like. Even clams stink to me. Now, although lobster's probably the worst. Annie loves lobster. And so every now and then she'll ask me really nice if I wouldn't mind cooking her a live lobster. It, it stinks. <laughs> okay, I, I will agree with you there. I don't, I don't do... So I have like a general food rule. And I've loosened up on some stuff. But by and large, I don't eat something that looks like it did when it was alive. So I don't do lobster. 
I don't do crab. Like I, I'll do like soft shell crab that's been fried. I'll do calamari, but I generally give Holly the ones that look like baby octopuses. I, I'll oh, see, I ones. like those. <laughs> um, like, Annie gives me those. <laughs> I, I can do octopus as long as it's like decently prepared, but I'm not sticking a whole tentacle in my mouth. Like just, uh, um, so I generally like I don't do pig roasts. I don't do fish with oh, the head on. I love pig roasts. Uh, like I, I actually have a hard time cooking a whole chicken, even though it doesn't really look like it did. Like there's bones and guts and bleh. so uh, I I don't eat any seafood that looks generally like an animal. Um, I don't really have a problem with things in in a shell. So like you know. Uh, I don't mind grilled oysters. I don't mind clams. I don't mind mussels. They're not my favorite thing. Holly's definitely a bigger fan. Love scallops. My How do you feel about scallops? They're not my most hated, but I don't generally eat them. The old man loves scallops. Mm. I had mussels in Italy. The, the, the hotel we were staying at made mussel stew one night. And I don't remember that being particularly terrible, but it's not something I'd go out of my way to get again. But, like, a nice salmon filet, one of my favorite foods in the world. Love fish salmon. Fish like stinks to me. Except, I, well, I take that back. I had one fish one time that I liked, and then I realized how much it was, and I never had it again. Yeah. I had a nice swordfish steak once. Ugh, I, don't, I don't care for swordfish. And then I never had it again because it's too bloody expensive. <laughs> For that much money, I'll get a real steak. <laughs> are you? I mean, I don't. I don't know maps. Uh, are you anywhere near the seacoast? Like two hours away. Okay. Well, I'm like twenty minutes from like the ocean. So, <laughs> like, but, I mean, even can't... then, though, you got to understand. When I lived in Beverly, I was across the street from the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> I and. Lou and I used to go to this place, and I cannot remember the name of it, but it literally was under the bridge between Beverly and Salem. And it was a seafood market. Yeah. And they'd have, like, the big, you know, aluminum containers full of ice with whatever the Sam Hell you wanted. And they didn't have, like, prices or anything in them. They had, like, the little, like, stick-up tags in the ice that had a time. And that was what time of the day the ship had come in that day <laughs> with the shit on it. And even then, oh, the, the one thing, though, and I think you and I are in agreement on this, Lou would go there and he would buy all these fucking raw oysters. Mm, and no. just... No, it's just salty snot. It's fucking disgusting. And you can make any amount of sex jokes you want to make. It's just, oh, so... Oh. But I would usually get a couple dozen clams and do them on the grill. Yeah. Clams and that's easy. Good. Even if you don't like cooking like me, you cannot fuck up clams on the grill. When they open, they're done. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally it. Yeah. And then you can do a little marinade, pop them off, eat them. They're delicious. But no, seafood, I don't get it. And everybody immediately thinks I'm allergic. And then they're just, and then when I say I'm not allergic, especially when it comes to lobster, they immediately say, oh, you've never tried it. No, no, I've tried it. It's gross. Yeah, no, I I will agree with lobster. Uh, Holly really likes uh, lobster rolls, and I just, I, I don't like, I mean, that's where I'm like, yeah, I don't like the smell. But, like, lobster has a very particular smell. It does. And even, like, I've tried boiling them in white wine. I've tried, it's just, it, 
I just smell it. I guess it's like a thing, you know, they say nobody smells smoke more than an ex-smoker. Are you an ex-seafoodist? No, but I guess it's the same idea. <laughs> All That's right, you, you pick the next one. Where are we going on this next one? Uh, well, I feel like we need to talk about your irrational hatred of Borderlands. Okay, let me set the stage here, because I don't think you and I were actually friends when the first one came out. No. <clears throat> when the first one came out, I actually was laid up at the time. I had a pretty nasty ankle injury. And I was home off of work because I couldn't drive because it was my right ankle. So I was down for, it was like a week, 10 days, something like that. I don't remember how long it was. And it was Borderlands had just come out, and I didn't have a whole hell of a lot to do. Annie and I were dating, so she would come in, you know, every 48 hours or so to make sure, you know, I was still bathing and crawling around and feeding myself or doing whatever. But I was a bachelor, and I wasn't working. I, w- I was, you know, on workman's comp or whatever. And so I had this new game. I'm going to play this new game. And I enjoyed the first one for what it was. I did not get the art style particularly, but it was fine. Some of the sub-bosses were entertaining. And, you know, it was a long game. And by the end, it was starting to get repetitive. But then I made it to the end. And I'm sorry, still to this day, it had the worst ending ever. Oh, yeah, sure. But, I mean, that's like saying Assassin's Creed 1 was a shitty game, so none of the rest of them were good. Well, but then I bought the combo pack because everybody else wanted to play it. I bought the combo pack with two and the other one that isn't three, the other other one. The pre-sequel. Yes, that. And if I didn't know any better... Two basically could have just been another DLC. See, I think two is way different. To me, it played exactly the same. It also was horrifically broken with the levels. Like, if you were even five levels off from whoever was in your party, you were fucked. Yeah. And then I played maybe ten minutes of the pre-sequel, and I was like, this is awful. And then I never played any of them again. <laughs> Man, I love those fucking games. <laughs> See, I think Borderlands 2 was like one of the first real online games I played with a friend. So I'm very nostalgic about it. And I still go back and play it occasionally. Now, I will say for what it was, I enjoyed the Tiny Tina DLC. I haven't played the full game. But I enjoyed the DLC for what it was. Mm -hmm. But again, I don't know if I'd want to play a whole game of that. A DLC is probably about as much of it as I'd want to play. See, I like the pop culture reference. Excuse me. Pop culture references. The uh, cell shading is one of my all time favorite animation styles. So I can't get enough of it. Like Wind Waker, Legend of Zelda, the Wind Waker knocks my socks off every time I play it. Like, I, I love cell shading. Um, so I, like, I go to it, mo- you know, for that. I like the music. I like how weirdly Borderlands, which was a game series that was all about irreverence and just being a badass, has become one of the most, like, diverse and inclusive game series ever to exist. 
Well, I mean, the first sub boss you face the first game has three balls. Yeah. But to the point of like, they listened to the, the developers listened to their fans, and when the third one came out, they changed the names of they they weren't midgets anymore. They changed the names to like tinies or something that was actually not offensive. Uh, they made that like they put more female bad guys in the game. They made it more diverse. They they brought in additional race racial characters and different backgrounds. They made a a, a really great character gay. Um, like that, there's just a whole lot of like super diverse things happening. I'm like, fuck Borderlands, I see you. And that was great. I mean, considering not there are no games in that kind of lane that do the same thing. No, I'll agree with that. And then that's that's all great. You're not gonna hear me shit on any of that. It's just the shame it wasn't on a good franchise. See, and that's why I wish I could get people to play Borderlands 3, because they fixed a lot of things. They made the loot system better. They made the leveling better. They instanced loot and level levels in a really nice way, so you could play with people who weren't at the same level, and it wasn't a big deal. Um, you know, there were spoiler-free ways of uh, playing in somebody else's game. Like, there was, there was all sorts of crazy good mechanics but by the time Borderlands 3 came around, our entire friend group had been so burned. Well, I mean, it's the thing. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. They already had a third game out. Shame on I don't even know who. <laughs> and, and now I, I'm genuinely asking you this because I don't know the answer. I'm not trying to troll. But how did the third one sell? Did it sell well? Was it comparable? I think so. I mean, let me see. Borderlands... And again, I genuinely don't know the answer to that. I'm just, I'm just asking the question. It might have been the best-selling one for all I know. I, I don't know. Uh, so it's sold more than 15 million worldwide. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, 15 million marketing commitment, 20 million non-recoupable funds, and 80 million. So yeah, I mean they. I, I think part of the problem with Borderlands 3 as well is it got a bad rap for, for buying into the exclusivity on the Epic Game Store. And a lot of gamers didn't love that. Yeah, that's probably not the greatest. But, yeah, it's... Uh, <clears throat> I mean, it's a good game. It's a, it's a, it's a fun game series um, if you hadn't been burned by it. like Mark, but I always really appreciated like the obscure, uh, pop culture references. Like I think in two, there was like a hidden Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series of missions. I will say if you could find the first one and you could play it up to the last mission and then don't do the last mission and then do the general, whatever the hell his name is, DLC and treat that as the end. Mm -hmm. It's an okay game. By the end of it, you'll be like, all right, I've had enough of this because it is pretty much exactly the same for 23 hours. But it's an all right game. Just don't play the last story. At this point, just go straight to three. Like three's got good DLC. It's 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 a richer world. The, The characters are. You know, more elaborate. It's still got the irreverent humor. Uh, And I think there's also another point to be made here. And that is that I absolutely fucking love Claptrap. And you probably fucking hate him. 
Claptrap is one of those things that is funny for the first couple of hours. And then it's like, oh. And, you know, and I'm shitting on, uh, on Borderlands for being repetitive, n- not just the gameplay, but the humor and everything. Note, I love repetitive shit. I'm the biggest payday two mark you'll ever meet. Okay. Yeah. So it's not that the game is repetitive. It's just it's not fun repetition. Like, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's not my most hated video game series by any stretch of the imagination, but that is one series that I know is very popular. I mean, you just said 15 million for the, the, the last incarnation, and I just shake my head and go, I'm missing something. I mean, There's something there, and just, I'm missing it. <laughs> I will always buy the next Borderlands, and you are just aggressively meh. Oh, if you could have heard my broken, angled, laid-up ass when I got that final... It wasn't even a cinematic. Just a fucking angel ghost satellite bitch popped up in the corner and was... Basically, if you've ever played the original Ghostbusters game for the NES and you get that screen that says, Congratulations, no S. You have completed a great game (laughs) and proved with three O's. The value of our culture. That was basically the ending of Borderlands 1. <laughs> All right, pick the next one. We got we to gotta get through some more of these. <laughs> He's not arguing that point because he knows I'm right. <laughs> no, for, I think the first one was, was terrible, but the rest of the games are great. All right, well, let's stick with gaming. Let, let's go with our spellcasters versus meat shields here. Oh, yeah, you're objectively wrong. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Now, we talked about this in character creation and whiskey a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, now, here's one that I don't actually hate spellcasters. Well, I'm technically actually playing a spellcaster in our current game. Well. Technically. Well. <laughs> are you? I am. Are you, though? You're playing a halfcaster. I can't, I can't throw shade at you because you're playing my favorite class. <laughs> I set this one up on purpose, folks. Oh, no. You're a um, bastard. <laughs> but I generally prefer meat shields. I prefer fighters. I prefer monks, um, paladins, although they're technically half-casters, too. Uh, and that's because I think they impact the battle more overall. Now, let me stress what I say overall. A caster can change the entire fucking momentum of a battle like that. Mm-hmm. But round by round, turn by turn a fighter, someone on the front lines has more impact little by little, and that all adds up over the course of a battle. That's what I mean when I say they impact it more overall. I mean, I'm not going to debate... I mean, there's a reason why there's a standard comp of, you know, tank, DPS, and healer, right? Like, we know the value of a meat shield. The point I am going to make is that meat shields are boring to play, and you should just fucking play a caster. (laughs) They're not boring to play, though. You could play them very strategically if you know how. Like, okay, you're playing a caster. You're 25 feet away, but whatever the hell you want to cast, you know, only has a range of 15 feet or whatever. I'm going to beat this guy's ass and run him into the your cone of death. I mean, sure. I like having options. I don't like my options being attack... Attack cleverly (laughs) and attack with shield. Let me introduce you to a battle master. We'll build you a fighter battle master and we'll let you pick three or four feats and you'll have a lot of fun. I mean, they're fine. 
it's fine. I've I've built battle masters. They're fine. They're okay. But like at a minimum, I generally want to play half casters. I'm playing a monk right now, and if it weren't for the fact that I'm a, I, I'm literally a drunken master, drunken master skateboarding cat, I think I would not be having as much fun. I do love that in our current game, both of us have gone completely against type. Yeah, it's so true. I would be remiss if I did not quote great friend of the show and of both of ours, Dave, when I just say, man, I just want to roll the dice. Yeah. You got to track spell slots. You got to track range. You got to track resistances and immunities. I just want to roll the dice. Yeah. But then as a caster, you get to do crazy things like drop blink dogs on people and the greatest spell ever made meteor. What did you do? I don't even remember the whole the whole story, but what did you do in the uh, uh, Tales of the Yawning Portal campaign when they were trying to make the strip club neon sign? What the hell did you change it to? I don't remember. <laughs> Basically ruined the live nude girl sign they were making. It makes sense in context, folks. It, it did, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I will say... Rabbit was a lot of fun to play. <laughs> Rabbit was a lot of fun to play. Uh, at least for me, anyway, this applies less in video games. I will play casters more in video games. But in tabletop RPGs, I want to play a meat shield. I never play meat shields in anything. Uh, I If I do, I'm usually like great sword and casting. Like, I'll, I'll still do a half caster, but like... Uh, like, I'm playing the Kingdoms of Amalur casually on the side, and... Uh, I'm playing like a, a great sword might character, but I still am slinging spells because it's so like I got like 10 levels in and I was like, I hate this. I'm so bored. Diablo three. I have both a level 99 paladin and a level 99 wizard <laughs> just for however I want to go that particular day. Oh, man, I just I just like having variety. I like being able to wake up the next morning in game and like completely reset my spell list and do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, that is kind of fun. Although I, I feel that I've hung out with Nick too much and I just kind of go into a meta game and I'm like, all right, these are the 10 spells I need. Throw the rest of the book away. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I have had a character that knew Tensor's floating disc. I've never used it once. But it's such a fun spell to have on your list. And see, that's, I think, another problem I have. And and we all in our group fall into this in one way or another. We all value role play so much more than combat. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, like, I've only ever played one full caster in my life, and that was Callaway. Yeah. yeah. His spells were not picked at all to be useful first. They were picked because Callaway was supposed to be moonlighting as a stage magician. So what kind of spells would be able to pass as an illusion for a stage magician? Prestidigitation. Well, that was one of them he had, amongst others. But he had, like, color spray. Yeah. Prestidigitation. um, uh, Invisibility. uh, He had uh, levitation. Stuff like that. So in combat, he was pretty fucking useless. I mean, sure, but if you play a caster long enough, then you figure out, like, you know, how can you use levitate to lift up the, the rock that the bad guy's standing on and, and drop it on their head? Or, right. you know, how can you use color spray to blind them to your, your meat shield's attacks on the next turn, right? Like, there's, there's cool mechanics. Like, I find casters, 
I, it's so funny because the way you say they have a more impact on a battle being meat shields, I find casters to have, like, I, I feel like meat shields are consistent and they can, you know, they can go enemy to enemy and start wiping them out. But I feel like I want to be the one who does the one cool thing in that battle that can, like, change it in our, our favor or do some last desperate spell that, like, heals somebody before I go down. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, you know, like I said, one one round of uh, one round, one round momentum swing casters, no doubt. But you said it best: meat shields are more consistent. Consistency gets you in the Hall of Fame. I mean, sure, but meat shields are boring and should just be wizards. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, what are we doing next? I don't know. It's your choice, isn't it? No, I picked that one. <laughs> Oh, yeah, let's talk about James, James Cameron's uh, Avatar, since there's a new movie coming out. Oh, you mean Blue Pocahontas? Uh, no, I mean Blue Ferngully. Now, here's the thing, and I think we talked about this during one of our Hot Takes episodes. As a technical exercise, it is certainly very impressive. Yeah, and that's all I need. Um, as a uh, demonstration of what could be done, you know, sure, and it made a lot of money. It was the least memorable piece of media, I think, ever. I mean, maybe, but I've also seen it like 12 times, so I remember the plot. <laughs> I mean, that was literally a movie where I saw it and I went, yep, can go my whole life without ever seeing that again. No, I love watching that movie. It's so much fun to watch like with people who've never seen it before or like... I don't know, man. It's just, it's escapism. It's nice to escape into the world of Pandora. I mean, don't get me wrong. We've all done stupid stuff for booty. And that's the whole plot of that movie. Guy betrays his race because he wants to clap some alien cheeks. So I am not non-understanding. <laughs> but, oh, and what's, I mean, how long, like, what was the actual runtime of that movie? Because, you know, the wife, off air, the wife and I were actually talking about movies in general because she went to see something today. I couldn't even tell you what the fuck it was. And she was complaining about how long movies are nowadays. And I feel like Avatar wasn't patient zero for this, but that whole era when Avatar came out and some other movies was when they started getting long for no particular reason. It's uh, two hours and 42 minutes. Yeah, no, that's way too fucking long. Oh, it's great. I mean, it's like, okay. I'm sure there are people who probably super, super like um, James Cameron movies, and I'm sure there's some arguments here. I don't fucking give a shit. At the end of the day, like, okay, I know you fucking hate Titanic too, but Titanic was visually stunning in the same way that Avatar was. Like what they I would achieved, say, I mean, I, I, I would actually argue Titanic was a better movie in every way. I mean, it had a plot. It had some actors I've actually heard of. You've heard of Zoe Saldana? I have no idea who that is. It's uh, Gamora. Gamora. From Guardians of the Galaxy? Okay. From the Marvel movies? I mean, I didn't know that was her, but okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, like I said, Titanic had people I've heard of. Uh, it was visually stunning. I mean, if you, if you want to keep going back all the way, I mean, James Cameron made Terminator. And Terminator 2, the CGI, still holds up today. Yeah. 30-some years later. So, like, 
I mean, I, I think Avatar... I, I, this is an age-old debate that I end up having with you and AJ, like, every three months, I feel like. but Mostly because we know it pissed you off. It, well, also, because like, I know, like, we're just never going to agree on this. But, like, I don't... I can I can suffer a bad story if the animation is good and if the world building is good and if the soundtrack is good. And I I like a good story. I'd prefer there to be an awesome story, but Avatar the first one at least is it's Ferngully. There's a big evil thing that humanity's doing and they're ruining nature. And the magic folk are fighting again. It's fer- it's Ferngully. Like, it's not an original idea. But, I mean, I also love rom-coms, and none of those are original either, so... I mean, I can't argue that. Yeah. I mean, I am looking forward to the second one. Uh, I... You know, The Way of Water, it's going to be under underwater. There's a whole Disney park for Pandora now, so I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, I like it. I think it's great. What is it with you and works of fiction that are set on planets named Pandora? Um, maybe you should fucking get on board is really what this is about. Borderlands. Avatar. Blue Pocahontas. Yeah, it's great. You just well, wish you were in school. AJ is going to write the, the next, uh... One shot's going to be on a place called Pandora, and DJ's going to instantly love it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. What do you want to do next? Hmm. Y- you want to do the big one, don't you? No, no, we got to save that for last. Uh huh. So I guess I guess we have to do uh, uh, child rearing here. <laughs> now I have to get this out of the way. Uh huh. You say your phrase. What phrase is that? You have a parenting <laughs> phrase. I do. You do. <laughs> okay. I don't uh, have. I don't have children, and God willing, I never will. No, no, no. So, okay, uh, you're right. I do, and I. But that's not how it goes. Uh, I don't have children, and if there's a just and loving God <laughs> in the world, I never will. But that wasn't what I was going to say. I have to get this out of the way. Uh, I don't hate children. In that, I don't want anything physically bad to happen to them. You know, I, I, I feel bad when, like, the St. Jude's commercials come on and things like that. And I understand that in most situations where children, quote-unquote, cause issues, it's not actually the kid's fault. The kid's a baby. The kid's a kid. It's mm. shitty parenting. So I don't hate children. That being said, I prefer, especially small children, to sort of be over there. <laughs> don't 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 come over here. I'll stay over here and not bother you. You stay over there and don't bother me. <laughs> yeah, whereas my opinion is I can't think maybe hanging out with you guys at loose is is a decent example, but honestly, like I'd probably rather hang out with his kids too. <laughs> I just prefer being around kids most of the time. I don't like talking about mortgages and Bitcoin and lawnmowers, and I'd much rather be talking to the kid in the corner who's playing with Pokemon cards. I mean, I say this as as one of your good friends, but you need to get some better friends. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but to be fair, we've all been at that party. 
we have, have all You're been right. at that party, and it sucks, and those people are vapid and boring, and I hate them, and I'd rather be hanging out with their kids. Kids are sticky, generally. Yeah, it's fine. Um, kids, I don't want to just come out and make the flat statement that kids break things, because again, it's not their fault. They're kids. They don't know. You mm-hmm. don't learn shit until you get older. But they're not the gentlest with things, both their own things and other people's, which I was the same way. I'm not just sitting here acting like, you know, I was five years old and was like, mm, yes, you know, the, the square root and all that. No, I was the same fucking way. I'm no better, but that's part of being a kid. Um, uh, likewise, kids get wild mood swings. And I mean, I do too, but at least I know why I get wild mood swings. You know, mm. I can't figure out like, you know, do you want ice cream? Do you do you want to watch TV? What do you want? Uh, it, it's just a lot of confusion. I mean, I'm a very type A personality. I if I don't have to, if I'm not in control of something, I at least have to know the direction things are going and, you know, okay, I have to have exit scenarios for everything. Kids are just a fucking wild card, man. Just no. <laughs> I could not come up with... I would be like Batman coming up with a million contingency plans for the Justice League. Yeah. Fair. I and this know, isn't man. even getting into any of the legitimate reasons like global overpopulation and food crises and things like that. I don't even believe in any of that shit either. I mean, it's it's real, but I don't even buy into any of that. Uh-huh. I just don't... don't, don't. Kids stay over there. I stay over here. Yeah, I... I don't know what to tell you, man. I prefer kids, but I also have never not been around them because I've been teaching martial arts my whole life. So, And you had brothers and sisters. Yeah, I wasn't an only child. Yeah, see, I was an only child. Um, Fucking privilege. I, I was also the oldest of my cousins. So, you know, it was just sort of like, oh, there's another baby. Oh, there's another baby. And I mean, I like my cousins now. I'm not shitting on them, but they were babies once and they were annoying. I mean, so were you. I was, but nobody was around then. (laughs) It was just my parents and I want to annoy them now. So that's no different. That's fair. I mean, I can't say much more here, right? Like I'm having a kid. I clearly like kids. Yeah, yeah, you're keeping it, so you're kind of stuck, huh? Yeah, yeah. There's that's all. Yeah, that's all I got, man. But yeah, you know, uh, child-free life's the life for me. And thankfully, I was lucky enough. I I was able to find the wife, and and she's on board 100, percent which which helps because it can get awkward if you have one and one. So it certainly can. All right, should we get into tonight's grand debate? Yeah, I think we should. Now, I have come up with a theory, ladies and gentlemen. You always have a theory. one and a half people that are still listening. DJ, my illustrious co-host, the founder of this podcast, the future father of a potential lizard person, as we've established, (laughs) does not like... The concept of evil. And now, when I say that, I mean, obviously, basically no one wants evil to exist. I mean, we don't want to be evil people. We don't want to do evil things. But the concept of evil, especially when it comes to fictional media, which is the bulk of what we've been talking about this evening, must exist in Mm -hmm. order for 
the story to progress. In fact, I mean, isn't that what what is it? What is with the 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 yin and the yang? Is that Buddhism? I mean, one is one is light, one is dark. It's, I mean, you have more like Taoism. Okay, well there you go. Yeah, but but evil has to exist for good to exist. Mm-hmm. And I've come to this conclusion because what spawned all this and what was the initial thought process behind the pick things that one likes and one doesn't like is I recently finished Far Cry 5. Oh, my God, that fucking game. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say it's game of the year. I'm not even going to sit here and say it's a particularly good game as a game It's goes. a particularly terrible game. No, it's pretty middle of the road. Oh, my God. But I couldn't understand the vehement hatred you had for the story and the game and the plot. AJ's I kind of understood because a lot of had to do with the ending. And the ending, while certainly not Borderlands terrible, was <laughs> not good. Although, if you read the tea leaves, it was pretty predictable. Which, again, predictable is not good. So, you know, be that what it may. So, AJ's position, I understood more. But your vehement hatred of this, I could not figure out. And then it clicked. Because a few months ago, we were having a debate about Thanos. Yeah. Now, when I say Thanos, I must stress that we mean the Marvel Cinematic Universe Thanos, not the canon Thanos. I mean, we debated both. We did, but the primary argument was about the Marvel Cinematic Thanos. Yeah. And very similar, strong feelings, shall we say, came up. And it clicked. You want the, the antagonist's only crime to be to stand in the way of the protagonist. It's it's not that. It's not that. It's way it's it's more complicated than that, but it's also still pretty simple. Well, go on. Well, I really don't like things that violate or violate free will or take away another character's agency. A very libertarian argument, I approve. Yeah. And I, I mean, I tend to take it a little bit further and believe that there are social contracts and there is a social responsibility and that there, you know, a, a good and mature society should provide for its people, which is why I'm, you know, you and I disagree in the political spectrum. But when it comes to media, I find that oftentimes villains are so much more evil than the the heroes are good. And I find it kind of one-dimensional, and I I find it kind of boring most of the time. The vast majority of villains that you get are the Joker. You know, someone who's pretty one-dimensional is just there to cause as much chaos and... Uh, shit on people's lives as possible until the hero takes care of them. The end. And you, there are some villains that I appreciate, and generally the villains that I appreciate are, uh, you know, not really all that villainous, you know, in a comedic sense, like, you know, the villains in Scott Pilgrim. Yes, that was his example today, folks. When we were debating, and he goes, no, I like lots of villains. The first one he gave was the evil exes, which... What heinous act of atrocity did they commit to become such villains? Well, that's the point, right? Like, that's what that's why I appreciate Scott Pilgrim so much, right? If you're reading high fantasy that takes itself extremely seriously, 
the villain is subjugating entire populations and has to be taken down, and the hero is trying to save the world. Scott Pilgrim is a dude who doesn't have very good self-esteem and needs to get out of his comfort zone and is kind of shitty, and that's literally the entire fucking plot. And that's why I like Scott Pilgrim, because uh, the villains aren't really that villainous, and the hero's not that heroic, and it's just very relatable. That's why I like it. I mean, it is a great series. I can't argue that. But, like, I mean, how often have you seen it where, like, a video game gives you the illusion of choice as your main character, and you can save puppies from a burning building, or you can literally skin them alive in front of their owners and feed them to them. Like, it's it's a kind of good thing that you could do to be good, or the most evil thing that somebody could come up with. It's so much more extreme on the evil side that it becomes... I want to play the video games you're playing. Those sound fun. Fable. <laughs> the Fable games did that shit all the time. Where it would be like, save a kid from a burning building or watch them die and make their parents watch. Like, it's just... See, I always, I only ever played Fable 2 and I went wicked evil. Like, I had horns, black skin, the whole nine yards. No, I always play the hero. I always want to be a good... I steal everything. If I go evil, it's just <laughs> literally by stealing things. Um, so for me, it's like, I... There are villains that I do find interesting because they walk the line between being a hero and a villain quite often. Uh, it's why I appreciate Venom as... Well, I would say comic book Venom and not the weird zeitgeist that's around Venom right now. But, like, Venom had his own single series for, like, 30 years. Like, he's been very complex, and the symbiote has traveled from person to person, and he's been a mercenary and a freedom fighter, and he's eaten people. And, like, there, there's a really interesting dichotomy between, like, Venom, the original concept of Venom was what if Spider-Man was slightly different? Like, what if Spider-Man had made different choices and gone evil? And it was really interesting. And it's the same thing with, you know, I get to hand it to you, man, your favorite villain, Lex Luthor, makes an he, interesting foil. He brought foil. him up, not me. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Lex makes an interesting foil to Superman and brings a level of depth to an otherwise completely boring comic. Because I think Superman is really a terrible oh, character. It is. I don't. I do not understand. Well, that's we'll that's another that rant for another day. We yeah, should probably we'll do an entire debate. episode on Lex Luthor at some point. Um, well, just the, the universe of Superman in general. Yeah, there there's many issues, but uh, but growing up, I was a Marvel kid, and I was much more into Spider Man than I was Batman. I got into Batman when I was older. But uh, my my favorite villain of all times is Doc Ock. And early on, he was just kind of crazy and kind of silly, and he had octopus arms. But over time, that character had a ton of growth and a ton of different interpretations, all the way into Superior Spider-Man, where uh, Pete and, and Doc Ock swap bodies. And all of a sudden, Doc Ock is Spider-Man and begins to, like, take on the heroism and he does some shitty things and he doesn't do it super nicely. And he kind of puts, uh, New York into a police state in a weird way. 
but he comes out of it and ends up being an anti-hero for a while. And it was super interesting. And most of the time, villains are not very interesting. No, and uh, that, uh, that I agree with you with 100%, and that's one of my greatest rants. I will say this, because I know we're running a little long on time. Far Cry 5, Joseph Seed, mm-hmm. other shitty-ass villains in your mind, I will say there's one thing that they have going for them in my mind, and I think, and you're going to laugh, it comes from my background in pro wrestling. Yeah, of course. No, 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 but hear me out. <laughs> you ha- In pro wrestling, you have the good guy, you have the face, and then you have the bad guy, the heel. The whole point of the heel is to get people mad, to draw heat, as they say. And, you know, f- the whole time he's doing all this dastardly stuff and blah, 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 blah. And then what is the end goal? You're going to pay money to either buy a ticket or to buy the pay-per-view just because you hate him so much. You have this such visceral hatred for this. Ideally, you want to see him get his comeuppance, although even in wrestling now, they're not really doing that as much. But that was the ideal. But if you can draw that heat, there's something to be said for that. There is. I feel like if we weren't specifically talking video games and comics, I'd have a much better conversation if we were talking villains in anime. Mm. Because villains in anime, I mean, while there still are those one-dimensional chaotic things that need to get blown off a planet, uh, I feel like anime does a really great job of creating nuanced villains that last for a long time. And I could name half a dozen examples. You know, that the big bad of Bleach was this was that. Um, there were multiple big bads in Naruto that were like that. And then, you know, look at any isekai that has a big bad. They tend to be, like, uh, the, isekai tends to show, like, oh, hey, here's a character from the same world as you, but they went bad, and here's why. <laughs> Madness was just too much for him. Yeah. And, there, I mean, sometimes you get the Joker, but more often I find that you get a Lex Luthor here or there, or you get a Doc Ock, or you get a Magneto. See, and this is another debate for another time. When you speak of the Joker, you're only speaking of the modern interpretation thereof. I mean, I have yet to read, and I've read some back uh, plots of Batman. I, I mean... Occasionally, the Joker is clever in how he tortures people, but he's still just torturing people for no real good reason. Which isn't interesting to me. No, it's not. But he was much more nuanced earlier. I mean, I I blame the 80s and Alan Moore and, you know, the dark age of comic books for just basically turning him into this, you know, stabby for stabby's sake. Um, he at least had like motivation and like a gang and like an ideal for a little while. He was still like a monster, but he was a monster that would give good speeches. He was, but ultimately no matter where you read him, Joker is meant to exist not only as a foil of Batman, but as a foil of the rest of the rogues gallery. 
Like yes, you, you but... look at his interactions with Two Face. You look at his interactions with the Riddler. You look at his interactions with fucking Harley Quinn, and he's not really there for himself. He's there to provide them opportunities for growth. And boy, howdy! If we want to talk about a, a radical transformation in the last, not even twenty five years, ten years, fifteen years, Harley Quinn. Holy shit! And it's not all for good either. No, but I will say I really do like the Harley show, the the animated one where she's with Poison Ivy. I've heard that that's really good. I don't have HBO Max, but um, my one coworker does, and she said that I would absolutely love it. Mm. Although Haley Kuko, I don't know. She's I don't great. Know. I mean, to be fair, I do love uh, Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Well, you'll have this. <laughs> but I think that takes us out, buddy. That takes us out. Um, you know, thank you all for listening. Uh, if anybody is still listening, <laughs> you probably <laughs> turned us off a long time ago. Uh, but, you know, uh, thank you for sticking with us, not just through this episode, but through all... God, we're pushing 90 episodes now. How about <sighs> it? It's, it's been a long, strange trip, but it's been a fun one. Uh, if you've missed any of the back catalog, they're all available. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Podbean, we're on Listen Notes. We are on, uh, what was that other one I sent you? Podcaster, Podcatcher, Pod... Yeah, something. Yeah, we're on that. Whole new things. Um, we're on Samsung uh, Podcast now. I actually just got an email from our overlords in South Korea from the, the Samsung Corporation. A nice little welcome form email. Uh, so we're on something like almost 30 different apps now. If you go to our Facebook page and click the uh, cover photo, just boom, all the different little buttons are going to be up there. Uh, we're on Facebook, although not for a whole hell of a lot longer. I think it's June 5th. Facebook is ending podcast hosting for new episodes, but all the episodes we get up on there between now and then will still be up. Supposedly, you'll be able to access them, but the Zuckerbot is doing sucker bot things. But yeah, we're, it, it's been kind of crazy because since they announced it, our episodes are going up same day on Facebook. Yeah, which they never did before. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Uh, but regardless, uh, so check us out. Like I said, 30, about 30 different places. We're dropping every Friday, even on Facebook now, apparently. Uh, usually about 8 a.m. And even the later ones were pretty much on by 9, 9.30 a.m. So you could listen to us during your lunch break. Uh, big shout out to Nuno Henry Silver for the intro and outro. We love him. Uh, we're going to send you to his SoundCloud. We're going to send you to his Amazon store. He's got some books out, got some great tunes. Now, what in the Sam hell are we doing next week to top this? Well, I thought about this, and we we actually like very briefly covered this way back at the beginning of season two with Adult Head and Whiskey, but I was, I was wondering what you would think about maybe doing an entire episode about conventions. Ooh, now that could be fun. Doing like doing about con culture and talking about like the different things that we've seen at cons and like tips and tricks for navigating cons, you know, shit like that. Yeah, I, I'm game for that. Uh, conventions and whiskey next week. Oh boy, we're gonna. I'm sure we both have quite a few stories. Yeah, I'll be fresh off Anime Boston too. 
And, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm looking back on it now, and I'm just getting a nostalgic smile on my face. And it's dangerous for historians to get nostalgic. Yeah. Um, But I don't know now if being older, I don't even want to say wiser, but just older, tireder, crankier, and cheaper. Uh, Not even cheaper, but uh, I don't know if I would do it the way. I mean, I think the last con I went to, there were eight of us in the hotel room. Oof. I don't know if I'd do that anymore. (laughs) When was that? Oh, God, it was not long after I graduated. We were all poor. Hey, I mean, PAX East counts, dude. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Well, I meant the last one I stayed in a hotel. (laughs) I was staying staying with Lou and Dave for PAX East. But, yeah, you're right. Okay, so the last one I stayed in a hotel. Let me let me say that. Okay. Um, there there was eight of us in the hotel, which don't get me wrong, was stupid fun then. I don't think I would do it again. No, uh, I didn't start going to conventions until I was in my early twenties, and we very quickly, within a few years, were staying in our own hotel room. The. Uh well, I mean, we can get into the full story next week, but uh, you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, the first major convention I ever went to was Otakon in Baltimore. Oh, so jelly. And, and I went to, well, I went with Bernie. And our initial brilliant plan was we were going to sleep in his car. Oof. And we were about all set to do this until somehow, some way, my mother got wind of the plan. I think my old man ratted me out. And she basically threatened us with an inch of our life. So we actually got a cheap little ghetto airport hotel that was about 20 minutes away. Uh, so the drive kind of sucked back and forth, and we had to play to park. But it was definitely the better idea. <laughs> yeah, I don't sleep in your car. That's terrible. <laughs> But that was our grand plan until, like, a week or two before the convention. You know, I did sleep in my car a few times in college. and uh, Oh, so it, have I. And it was, I had a two-wheel drive 97 Ranger, so it had, like, the perfect bucket seats. I've slept in, you know, big 70s luxury cars. Well, luxury cars for the 70s that had, you know the freaking huge bench seats in the back that you could fit three fat guys across. <laughs> I've slipped in subcompact Cavaliers. I've slipped in pickup trucks. I don't recommend any of it, but you got to do what you got to do. I did work with a kind of grody guy for a while who had a giant souped up F-250 and he had a mattress in the back. I always wanted to build just because, I mean, they're sketchy and I know they're sketchy, but it would be fun just to have one and ride around and not be a creeper. But I always wanted to build one of those big Mark III conversion vans with, like, a waterbed in the back and a huge stereo. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't do anything with it. But. You dirty hippie. <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> yeah, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Tune in next week for Conventions and Whiskey. And until then, I'm Mark Rossetti. I'm DJ Gagnon. Salud. Cheers. Cheers.